All right, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this. Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, for tonight, God. Thank you for your sweet presence that is with us, God. And I just thank you that you know every person in this room. You know every person who will listen to this message, God. And I believe, God, that you have something specific, something geared to, to, toward our hearts, our, our, our uh, condition of our hearts, our seasons of life, God, that'll, that'll kind of just... Uh, um, yeah, it's going to awaken our hearts, God, to our purpose and to our future with you, God. Anyone who has doubts in this room, anyone who's skeptical in this room, anyone who's anxious in this room, God, I pray that your peace would cover this space, God, and that we would see Jesus clearly tonight. And it's his name we pray. Amen. 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 So um, I, f- I f- first want to start off by um, just pointing at this, because y'all are like, what is he going to do? This is a mirror, okay? And I'm going to be using this uh, for my message, okay? There you can see yourselves. There you go. And so we're going to be talking about this mirror and kind of referencing it throughout. But kind of like the point that I want to make as we get started is that a mirror is used and it reflects light. I'm going to tilt it a little bit more so I can see my face. And when I look into a mirror, I I can see myself. I can see who I am. And so I want to ask the question tonight, who are you? If I look into a mirror to see my physical uh, body and my physical appearance, there's something more real about myself than just my body. And so I can't look into a mirror to find out who I am. I have to go somewhere else. And so the question that I'm asking you and us tonight is, who are you? So tonight we'll be in John 11. And in John 11, it talks about an account of Jesus and a man who died whose name was Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, and he became ill, and he died. Jesus wasn't in the town where Lazarus was, but he, when he returns to his town where Lazarus had died, it, he was dead for four days. Everyone say four days. It's a long time to be dead. Funerals are already planned. Sometimes funerals are already happening at that point. And so we're going to talk about this account of Lazarus um, tonight, and I'm going to use it to kind of paint the picture of our topic. But overall, what I want to talk to us about tonight is taking off our old identity and putting on the new. So taking off our old identity and putting on the new. So I want you to real quick, if you have your wallet or your purse on you, I want you to, if you have a photo ID, I want you to take it out, okay? Everyone right now. Everyone, if you got a photo ID, just go in, take it out. It's in your pockets, in your purse. Take out your photo ID and just look at it. Look at it. Show it to your friend. Laugh at it because they always take terrible pictures of yourself whenever you're at, right? The Secretary of State. It's just awful. So that's your ID. Who, does anyone here like the picture on their ID? You do? Way to go. I like that. Self-confidence. Just, I, that's just me. So this is who the government thinks you are. <laughs> the government takes a picture. They have, what, what color are your eyes? You got brown eyes. You got blue eyes. You got green eyes. They have your eye color. They have your height. They got these little numbers on there that are associated with your name that are attached to your license, your registration, if you own a car. And this is who the government or the Secretary of State says you are. The state of Michigan says this is Brody or Ryan. This is Mo, this is you. And, but that's not who you really are. So the topic of identity and our 
identity is more crucial than I could ever explain in a 25 or 30 minute message. Self-worth, depression rates, suicide rates are at all time highs. Like literally nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows who they are. And it's worse yet, actually. Nobody knows whose they are. They don't know where they came from. They don't know where they're going. They don't know why they are on this planet. They don't know why they have breath in their lungs. We feel that our culture is a scientific culture that believes in evolution. And so we think we are, uh, we are particles of dust on a cosmic rock that's floating to it through, a, through an infinite universe that's expanding at rates that we can't even measure. Life and our identity seems insignificant to the secular world. And that doubt is seeped into the church and we have, and I'm not, this isn't an accusation towards anyone, but we have depression rates and we have suicide rates in the church and we have anxiety and self-worth and comparison and we have everyone who's trying to fit into what the Christian culture says. We dress like Maverick City Music or our favorite preacher and we dress all alike to try to find an identity in a group so that we will fit in so that we can feel like we aren't going crazy and just and just so that we can ignore our problems and instead of being content content with who we are when no one's around. Can I, get an, like, can I get a thumbs up if this has resonated with anyone? Now, identity is a huge topic because it, it's everything. If we don't find out who we are, we will jump from church to church. We'll jump from friend group to friend group, boyfriend to girlfriend to boyfriend to girlfriend. We'll jump from all these things. Sometimes we'll jump from being heterosexual to bisexual to homosexual. We're finding, trying to find our place in this world that there are no answers to seemingly. We don't have to. Because we have a culture where nobody knows who they are. And worse yet, we have a culture where people don't know whose they are. So, story of Lazarus. He was dead for four days. This is in John chapter 11. And he comes into town. And everyone is grieving the death of Lazarus, their brother, their friend. But Jesus comes to town. And he had a promise from the Father that Lazarus would be risen from the dead after being dead for four days. And you ought to know about Lazarus. He was like dead, dead. There's like dead. Okay, the King James says he stinketh. (laughs) Like his body was in the tomb for four days and they were like, don't open the tomb. It's gonna, it stinketh. Like he was dead, dead. And Jesus comes to the tomb and he says, he's only sleeping. And everyone's like, he's dead. (laughs) He's not sleeping. He says he's sleeping, and he comes to the tomb where he was, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And he says, roll the tomb away, or the stone away. And Lazarus comes out. He walks out, and then in John 11, this is what it says, the man who had died came out. This is our Jesus his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to to them, unbind him and let him go. 
Another way that we could uh, interpret Jesus saying this is, Lazarus, take off your grave clothes. Take off your grave clothes. The grave clothes are for people who have died. You are no longer dead, so take off the clothes that identify you with a dead person and put on clothes that identify you with a living person. Some of you are, are picking up where I'm going here. And I'm here to point us to a greater life tonight. You see, Lazarus was a dead man, and then he was raised to life still wearing dead man's clothes. And I, I'm, I'm here to tell us that too many Christians, myself included, are still wearing our grave clothes. That we were dead in our sin, lost without a, we were lost as lost can be, and yet Jesus has come to make dead people alive. He's came to rescue us from our sin. He's came to make us brand new, make us alive to God. And yet too many Christians, too many people are wearing the old stinky grave clothes. We're wearing old attitudes, old mentalities, old sin patterns, old toxic thinking, old toxic sin patterns. We have claimed our heavenly reward, but still wear our deathly earth suit. And Jesus is here tonight, my friends, saying it is time. It is time here. It is time here. It is time to take off your stinking thinking. It is time to take off those bad mindsets. It's time to take off those bad sin patterns, those old sin patterns. It is time not to be perfect, but it is time to start unwrapping. Too many of us have delayed unwrapping. We'll say, we'll unwrap next week. Maybe next month, once once the summer's over and I'm with my friends and we have a good old time, maybe, maybe after I graduate college, then I'll unwrap my Lazarus dead man clothes. Listen, friends, you might not have a summer. And I will argue, we'll get, we'll, get to, we'll get to more of that. Sorry, here we go. So, it's time, guys. Those clothes do not look good on you. And you know it. They don't look good on you. That mentality doesn't look good on you. That fear doesn't look good on you. It does not look good on anyone. The unforgiveness, all of the toxic lifestyles and patterns that we have, we know they're bad. And I'm here to call you out and say you're a terrible person. I'm here to say there's a better way. And that way is following hand in hand with the man Jesus who raises us from the dead. So it's time to look at the scriptures to find out who we really are and not settle for the old sin patterns anymore. So let's take off the old identity and put on the new identity. So I have my first point that I want to make tonight within the story of Lazarus and talking about our identity in Christ is that we were all dead like Lazarus. Everyone say, we were all dead. We were all dead. Genesis 126 says this, let us make man in our image after our likeness. All of humanity has been stamped with the image of God. We are, we are unlike any other creature. We are un, unlike any other piece of his creation. We have, are uniquely made in the image of God. We have intrinsic worth that is worth more than anything. It's more than gold or silver or Bitcoin. It is worth more than anything. We are made in the image of God. That image, though, in Romans 5 it talks about, that image was marred. Or it, was, it, was, it was distorted because of sin. 
So Romans 5 talks about it. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that was Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Do I have any uh, people? Have you ever sinned? Raise your hand. You ever sinned? Raise your hand. Okay, thanks. We're in good company. We all have sinned because we were all born into what's called Adam, into a sinful nature, into a selfish nature, into a fearful nature, into a, into a manipulative nature. Any sort of distorted way of living that pulls upon and hurts other people and ourselves is because we grew up being tutored by the wrong tutor. His name was Adam, and it's our flesh. It's our sinful nature. We are born into it. You can't escape it. You could live Amish. You could live, you could live attached in a homeschool home with Christian parents, and yet that sinful nature will find you. Parents try to do it all the time. They homeschool their kids. They keep them from all the bad movies. They keep them from all the bad stuff. And then they turn 18, they go away, and it's like, poof, now I can live. Because that old sinful nature was never cured. There's only one thing that can cure the sinful nature. There's only one thing that can kill, that can raise that dead man to life. There's only one person. There's only one experience. There's only one way to take someone who's dead and make them alive. It is by grace through faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam, all die. Everyone say, all die. So we were all dead like Lazarus. So also in Christ shall be made alive. So I'm going to focus on we're dead, but also the last part's really cool. So in Christ we shall be made alive. We've been made alive. We have a lot of sleeping people who are alive in our culture. People who literally are stuck. Where's my phone? They are, they're alive, but they're dead. They're alive, but they're not awake. They are alive, but they're not living. And Jesus, in Christ, we have a life, a promise, and we have a Savior who shows us not just how to go to heaven, but how to live. So in Adam, we all die, but in Christ, we are made alive. Because we were dead, though, we were sheep without a shepherd. We were left in the sinful world to discover who we are. Remember I asked you, who are you? Who are you? You see, all of us have mirrors in our life. It's not actual mirrors, though. From the time that we're born, we are looking to our world to figure out who we are, and where we fit in. Who are we? Who am I? That's the question I'm asking. And we have different mirrors that we look into that we see ourselves through. It's not, an, it's not accurate to who we are, but it's who we've seen ourselves to be. And because we're born into a sinful nature, we are the worst judges, the discerners. We are awful at discerning who we really are. And worse yet, we are awful at discerning who God really is. Because we have this sinful nature, because we're like Adam, because we are broken and lost and we're blind, how can we see God if we're blind? See, it's when God reveals himself to us so that we can see. So our sinful nature always leads us to put our trust in things that can never truly show us who we are. This is what we describe as we were born into Adam. 
We were born in the image of God, but then our identity as children was lost. And the devil, who is alive and active, Pastor Dwayne always teaches this, there's only one place you need to give, well, there's only one place you need to give the devil, that's in your theology. If you live as though the devil is not real, he will wreak havoc in your life and you'll think it's God's fault or your fault. The devil is real. We do not wage war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and, and dark forces in the heavenly places. 1 Peter 5, 8, the, de- the, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He, he's seeking to devour. See, the devil is, a, is an equal opportunity offender. He will come at you at your lowest point. And he's going to take the point of your childhood when you were at school. He's going to take your family upbringing and your dad leaving or your mom leaving, your parents getting divorced. He's going to take that thing that happened to you in school, in kindergarten, when when somebody came in and they said a mean thing to you, embarrassed you in front of the whole class, and that just stuck with you. You see, I could could point to moments in my life from kindergarten to like to 10th grade that I'm like, I have no idea why I remember those things, but they were very impactful and hurtful. And the devil comes in and he whispers, he's a liar. The Bible says he's the father of lies. And he comes in those moments and he says, this is who you are. And so pain, family, all these situations that we'll talk about are mirrors that the devil has convinced us to, 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 for us to believe that these mirrors, these events, these pain points, these family situations are a reflection of who we are. And then we embrace them. So our life isn't life, our life is a mirror. And everything that happens to us, we're, we're trying to find out, who am I? You don't even know that you asked that question, but from the time that you're born, you're asking that question. And the only place that we need and can find true fulfillment in that question is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the devil's a liar. We were born into Adam, and because we're a broken, sinful people, we cling on to these idols because they're familiar, and other people have similar stories, and we resonate with other people's pain. And so we say, they have pain, I have pain, I resonate, so that must be what, that must be what we do as humans. We cling. Jesus came to rescue many. Ever wondered why God asks us to give up everything to follow him? Ever wondered why? Like, why does... Like, God, you couldn't let me keep something? <laughs> like, like, pick up my cross, deny myself, and like, follow you? Like, I must lose my life if I want to find my life? Like, because that's what Christianity is. It's not believe and go to heaven. It's believe, repent, give up everything, and follow that man, Jesus, who paved the way for us. If you think Christianity is about believing to go to heaven, you're not reading the Bible. Jesus taught a radical, beautiful message of grace that he comes to save us from our sin and give us a new mission in life to live self-sacrificially and follow Jesus in the midst of a culture that will deny him and mock you. It's the best life. It is. But have you ever wondered why God asks us to give up everything? It's because everything that you know is garbage. Everything you learned from the time, even if you grew up in a Christian home, God can use the seeds, but everything that you've known up to the point of being born again is garbage and useless in the kingdom. 
God can redeem situations and things, but the things that you've learned, the way that you've learned to think, the way that you've learned to relate, the way that you've learned to treat women, the way that you've trained to manipulate men, the way that you've, you've learned to relate to your parents and relate to peers and manipulate and get ahead and do things at the expense of others and everything is to forgive and to smile and say you forgive but gossip behind people's back. Everything is garbage. And he says, you cannot follow me because that is Adam. And Jesus has come to show you a new way to never expect anything from anyone but to follow this man, Jesus. That's who I am and that's who you are. You relate to pain because you like the pain. You don't like the message of truth because that's what you're called to the be and the devil will love to keep you in the depths of hell so that you'll suffer forever and have a lifeline to Jesus and question if you're ever saved. The reason Jesus asks you to give up everything is because everything you once knew is killing you. And it can't exist in, in life with Jesus. Now, that's my harsh preacher voice. <laughs> Let's switch to pastor voice. Jesus is a gracious friend. Although he demands us to give up everything, he also knows that we are not wise enough to even know how to give up everything. And so instead of us taking our grave clothes off all at once, how it often worked with my life and many other people's lives is that Jesus slowly walks next to us and he takes off the grave clothes with us. And he doesn't do it to shame us, he does it as a friend and a gracious savior. You see, he made us alive and then he walks with us through the Holy Spirit to show us who we really are and to show us the lies that we believe by looking through the false mirrors and the false ideas of who God says we are. Give me a thumbs up if this is making sense. Because it's about to get really good. Learn to take off the grave clothes. Point number two. The first point is we were all dead. Second point is learn to take off the grave clothes. Lazarus was raised back to life, but was still wearing stinky old grave clothes. Jesus tells us to take off these grave clothes. Even though we are alive in Christ, when we place our faith in him, there are still remnants camouflaged in our soul that are still stinking and they still smell and they still think like our old fleshly nature. It's still Adam. So God, the work of the Holy Spirit is to take us from the place of where we were into looking more and more like Jesus. His attitudes, his beliefs, and his approach towards life and his rhythms. So we have to learn to take these grave clothes off. Or we have to learn to think about God and ourselves dif differently. So we take off our old identity and we have to put on our true identity. So I look in the mirror and I, and I see who I am. And the different categories that I'm going to reference today are really around the question of places that we've gone to answer the question, who am I? We might call them false idols. We might call them a, a lot of different things in the church. But for tonight, I'm asking, these, or I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that these are places that we've gone to answer the question, who am I? We look at our family to answer that question. Our birth order, all these things that we identify ourselves with. Our parents getting divorced. Our dad leaving, never having a dad, being adopted. All of these things that when it pertains to our family, the devil is, is, is right, at your, 
right on your shoulder as a kid. And you're looking at your family, but you're not looking at your family. You're looking at your family as a mirror to see who you are. And the devil is whispering on your shoulder saying you're worthless. You're no good. Your family loves your siblings more. Your dad never loves you. If he, lo- if he couldn't love you, why would anyone love you? All of these things are, are whispering in your ear. And you don't, even, you don't even know it. But as a six-year-old, seven-year-old, the devil is, 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 is telling you who you are. And you are embracing it because you're a sinful person because God has not regenerated you yet to be born again we can't help it we are born into Adam we look to our peers actually I'm going to go back to that so these things are in our family and we even say things like alcohol runs in our family pornography divorce pride anger poverty all these things run in our family and I'm here to say friends it ran in your family it runs out with you I'm here to say it does not have to run in your family. It only run in your family if you believe it runs in your family. It only run in your family if you identify yourself with it because it is a self-fulfilling prophecy that you will fulfill. My friends, if you look to Jesus, though, and identify with him and not your pain and not your family, you can have a new future. Not a future without struggle, but a future that is much more bright than that of our family heritage. So I honor my heritage. Without them, I wouldn't be here. But their failure is not my failure. I identify myself with a better man who's not Adam, that man, Jesus Christ, who says, all things are made new. Amen? So then we go to our peers. We answer the question, who am I? We go to our peers. Who am I? Our peers treat us a certain way. We're the funny guy or we're the quiet person. And we, we, we identify in friend groups in elementary, middle school, and high school. And that little devil, that little devil is right there on our shoulders. just like an emperor's new groove and the little guy's on the shoulders. He's right there and he's like whispering at who you are. And you don't know any better. We're sinful people. And so we don't know any better and everyone else is doing it. We embrace an identity. But that's not who you are. That's not who you really are. That's who you've evaluated yourself to be based on how your peers treat you. Accomplishments. We look at our accomplishments. Sports, academics, Nicole even mentioned in her testimony a few weeks ago about track being this accomplishment that I am only a track athlete. I'm not anything else. And so we identify with our track, and then the devil comes, and he takes advantage of those accomplishments, and, and he, either you accomplish really good, and he says, that's all you are, or you suck, and he says, you suck. And so, because of your accomplishments, you identify, you look in the mirror of your accomplishments, and you start to take on an identity or a belief system about who you are. Another topic is words. Words that were spoken to us or over us where we answer the question, who am I? Well, who am I? Well, my dad said I was this. My dad said I was no good. My mom says I was just like my dad. My th- all these words. My friend said that I'm, that I'm stupid. All these words that just, man, they just hit hard, don't they? How is it that I can have 29 years of life and that there's words that I remember from eighth grade that just still hurt? And if I don't deal with that and take that to the Lord and, re- and, re- and, and, and ask him to show me who I really am in light of that experience, then I'll still believe that about myself and it'll affect my relationships and my life. 
past behavior, we answer the question, who am I? Well, who am I? Well, I must just be a porn addict because I've been dealing with it for nine years and I'm never getting over it. We look at ourselves and identify ourselves with our past behavior and our, and our, and our ability to be holy and righteous. Being holy and righteous is good, but never identify yourself with your performance because you can't get into heaven with your performance. God doesn't love you more because you're because you haven't sinned the last two weeks. He's looking at you and he's saying, I love you. And you are not your behavior. But if you look at yourself through the mirror of your behavior, you might start to think, I am what I do. Now, our, our actions matter, but not when it comes to identifying who we really are in the sight of God. Our sexual desires. Who am I? I'm attracted to this. I've dealt with this. All my sexual desires, right? That is who I am. My sexual experiences. I like this. I didn't like this. All of these things. My pornography addiction and my online, my online sexual experiences with other people. I am my sexual desires and experiences. And here you are looking at yourself in the mirror of your sexual experiences and God is saying, that is not. I, listen friends, the only person who can tell you who you are is the one who made you. He is the only one who has the right to tell you who you are. Anything and anyone who else who tries to tell you who you are is stepping out of the line of their authority. They do not know you. They do not have your experiences. They, do not, they are not omniscient and they don't know. They weren't, in, they weren't present when you were formed in your mother's womb like our God was. And the last one is relationship status. Who am I? We look at our singleness or our dating, however it works, how we've been treated in relationships, and we say, that's who I am. This is what it says. We want to take off these grave clothes. All these things, all these identifying pieces, right? All these things that we've claimed and identified ourselves with through our past experiences, the mirrors that we've looked into, we must not try to tackle them all at once but we must slowly walk with the Lord to learn who we really are. When we have, when we have struggle, we don't, we don't try to just ignore our struggle. We bring our struggle to God, and we bring it to Him, and we say, who am I in light of this struggle? Who am I? And you listen, you read the scriptures, and you discover who you are in Christ. This is what it says in Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. Listen, that is us. We are darkened. They are darkened. Why would you ever listen to someone who's in the dark? They have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy, uh, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to, put, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So we have this picture of putting off our old nature, which is in the flesh, which is all of the evil desires, and putting on our new nature, which is renewed, key verse here, in the image of Christ. 
Your true identity is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It is found in the scriptures, what they reveal about us, but ultimately in that person of Jesus Christ. What he says about us goes. What he thinks about me is the ultimate opinion. It doesn't matter what you think about me. Listen, I'm going to go home tonight. Some of you all are like, I don't know, that was a decent message. I don't know, I don't really know. Oh, that preacher, you're new. You're like, that preacher was okay, you know, kind of weird, hard to follow. You know, you're going to have all these criticisms. You're going to be like, yeah, Caleb's like, yeah, true, yeah, okay. No, but I'm saying like, you're going to have your criticisms of me, and I'm going to hear them, right? I, they come through, and I, and I hear it, okay? And listen, I'm going to go home, and guess what I'm going to do? Guess what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to go home, and I'm going to say, I thank you, Father, that I'm your son. I thank you, thank you, Father, that not one opinion matters. And it has nothing to do with who I am. I could be fired tomorrow, could care less, because I am you. I'll preach in a street corner. I'll love the people in my new workplace. It don't matter because I am not what I do. I am not what my family said. I am not my sexual history. I am not any of these things. I am marked by the love of Jesus that's proved by Jesus on the cross, raising from the dead and revealing himself to me when I was 19. You have nothing to do with my identity. Nothing. You cannot move my identity. It's in Christ. It's because I've taken the work to take off my grave clothes, to visit my childhood, to revisit these things and to say, God, I need to discover. I don't want to stink anymore like grave clothes. I don't want to be in that old man. I don't want to be in unforgiveness. I don't want to be in lust and masturbation addiction. I don't want to be in any of these things. God, I want everything. I want to be that new person that you see me as right now. And I just need help with these grave clothes. Man, this is good. And it's not that I don't love you or I don't serve you. It's just I don't need you. I don't need you to find out who I am. I've already discovered that through the grace and the power of Jesus. Not through my own work. My last point is let God reveal our true identity. Who are we going to find out? How are you going to find out who you are? The only reliable source is God through the scriptures. You'll discover that you are loved. You'll discover that you're chosen. You'll discover that you're righteous. You'll discover that you're holy. You'll discover that you are loved, that you're a child. You'll discover all these things in the scriptures. And you have to start retraining your tongue so that you no longer start having, you no longer have I am statements like, I am a failure. I am this. I am worthless. I am stupid. I am this. I am that. You got to retrain your mouth so you retrain it to what the scriptures say about you because that is ultimately what God thinks about you. Even if you're not living it, I am righteous. I am holy. I am I am this. I am this. Not because I am, because he made me this way through Christ and his resurrection. Well, that's hypocritical. I don't feel it, Jake. Listen, you better say it till you feel it. Because if you wait till you'll feel it, you'll be wearing grave clothes in your grave, in your grave. And you'll never step out into the fullness of who God has made you to be. You will be dead. You will be alive wearing dead man's clothes your whole life. It's not what God designed for you. He designed you to be free from all those stinky grave clothes. Don't ever, don't ever identify yourself with how people have treated you. Don't ever identify yourself with your family. It's, I know it's easy to do and it's natural, but listen, you are so much more valuable than you ever thought. This is how I want to end. Some of you all have been to youth, and so you, maybe, I've, have I done this one at Access before? Yelling at a $10 bill? I've never done this? Sweet. Maybe you're in youth and you heard this before. 
So I need someone. Who wants? Okay, here. Who's gas? Hold on one second. Who's gas? Not you, Brian. Sorry, I can't. I'd be biased. <laughs> Whose gas tank is on like empty? Whose gas tank is on like empty? Brooklyn, come on. Okay, come over here. Okay. You want this? $10 bill. What a, what a joke. Used to buy four gallons of gas, now can only buy not even two gallons of gas. Man, you used to be so much, you used to be worth so much more. You suck. What a stupid $10 bill. I hate you. You are never going to accomplish anything in your whole life. Man, the $20 bill is so much better than you. Oh my God. 50, 100, 10? Man, you might as well just be. You might as well just be extinct. Man, the government's printing so much money, you're getting worthless and worthless every day. More worthless every day, $10. What a freaking stupid $10 bill. Stupid. Do you want this? Yeah. I would still like it. Okay, you can have it. Thank you. you can t- yeah, you can go sit down. She still wanted it. You guys pick up the point? Your worth and identity has nothing to do with how you've been treated. It has nothing to do with what people have said about you because the worth of the $10 bill is based on the government that supports it. It is based on the currency, not the gold standard. It's based on what validates it. And listen, what what is validated, what is spoken, and what is the authority of your life is not the words that were spoken over you, the family you come from, or anything. It is by the blood and the power of Jesus. He says you are worth it. His blood on the cross and his resurrection proved that humanity was worth dying for. There was potential in you that you never saw on your darkest day. You thought you were worthless. God said, you're my son, you're my daughter. If you'll only believe, if you'll only believe the truth, if you'll only believe and look to Jesus, you will live a life that is better than you can ever imagine. But it is if you will look to that man, Jesus. Your worth is not intrinsic. It is not in you. You will not discover it through meditation and yoga. The only way to discover who you really are and the worth of your life is to look at the man Jesus and be so focused on him that everything else fades away. That is the only way, friends. Let's close in prayer. God is in the saving business. His mission and his heart for people is unmatched. Scientists, philosophers, atheists, people across the world have marred and have tried to, to, to corrupt the name and the image of God. But yet, God is unchanged and he saves people still. He saves people from their sin. He saves people from eternal separation. And most importantly, he saves people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's a radical kind of love because we've treated him so poorly, yet he sees us for who we are and he offers salvation from sin and death to anyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ who would turn from their old ways and follow Jesus, stumbling forward with all of their heart.
And it's so, it's too good to be true. It's like so good that all it takes on our part is to believe. Is to believe that Jesus did what the Bible claims he did, which is die on a cross for our sins and be raised from the dead so that we could have a relationship with God. And if you have never done that, tonight is your night. Tonight is your night to step into that connection and relationship with God through Jesus Christ. By raising your hand, and that I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. By raising your hand, you're saying that I want to follow Jesus forward. I cannot save myself. I need saving. Your hand, I might see your hand, but God sees your hand. He, more importantly, he sees your heart. So on the count of three, just raise your hand if that's you. One, two, three. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. What's more important is that God sees you. You can put your hands down. Let's all pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for proving your love for me on the cross, dying for my sins. And thank you for raising from the dead so that I might be made alive and have connection with my creator. Help me in these next days, weeks, and months to come to follow you with my whole heart. Help me, God. In Jesus' name, amen.